Hi, I'm Kristen. I'm a social self-prez 911963. Hi, I'm Kaisa. I'm a sexual social 918 with the 3 and 5 fixes. Hi, I'm Sammy. I'm a self-prez social 911 with 514 and 413 fixes. Yeah. That's why I was thinking of like the um the last the part one that we had um like I'm trying to think what mainly stood out like I know we kind of did like a general overview of like what is already out there um on the inner other and stuff like that But I don't know. I think there was also just part of me that's like I'm going to stumble upon something more profound than what we already said. <laughs> and I feel like like I kind of have, but also like well, I haven't been able to funnel my in my SI system with it. Right. So that's why you are keeping us in suspense. Yes. <laughs> that's so unfair. <laughs> I think all right, well one of the most one of the biggest thoughts that i had um way back when we did record it and i had thought about things afterwards of like oh you know i could have gone into that or something um and then kind of like what i was noticing with other people's dreams like either ours or like people that i was talking to or whatever and to kind of challenge the idea of the animar animus appearing as a person at first like i think maybe eventually it will um but one of the things is probably more realistic for people right now like for us and for people listening and whatever is that i've noticed that a lot of the what could be the inner other comes up in a dream as like a real shocking like thing to the dream ego like the dream ego is is either stressed or shocked or surprised or something like there's some kind of event that evokes a really strong reaction from the dream ego where they're just like what the fuck do i do now because the point of like the inner other is to like we've been saying over and over again is to like jar the ego like it's meant to be jarring so i wonder if like the inner other shows up in a dream as something that does really jar the dream ego and challenges it and therefore it might not be a person for a while like it could be a situation it could be an event it could be um like some kind of sequence that the dream ego goes through or whatever that really like shocks them um does that make sense mm-hmm. yeah really feeling yeah. it yeah like something that scares the like kind of scares the dream ego um because then it it makes it so that they actually have to like you actually have to think about how you're being affected and how that's impacting you um and like where that large charge of dynamism wants to really move you which is the animar animus wants you to be moved out of what you think you know and into something much larger. So that was the first thought that I had and then since then <laughs> I've been like sometimes contemplating it. It kind of also relates to the triangulation thing too that I've been thinking about that like um establishing and having a relationship with your own polarity undifferentiated from all of your unconscious stuff so like 
not just like the typical triangulation dynamic, like Kaisa, you were saying in all of your discoveries that it's usually like, you know, parents and child and the child wants some kind of energy from the parents because they don't feel as separated or when they do, it's like, well, I want this kind of attention. You know what I mean? Like Mm. the triangles kind of like showing that there's another energy present, but we're sort of clouding that energy with our own unconscious associations of what it could look like or what it could be. Um, that I think that like when you're actually inhabiting and establishing your own polarity and recognizing that of the other person or people in general, um, like really owning your own beauty and display and whatever that the third element is more mysterious and it already exists and you kind of want to know what that could be rather than trying to get it to be the same thing you've always pictured it to be if this is confusing I can give an example (laughs) please do Okay. <laughs> All right. So let's make up a scenario, right? That like, ah, uh, like, okay, you like someone else, whether it be socially or sexually, whatever, there's some kind of chemistry that is happening between you and another. And um, oftentimes people have preferences as to what they want their connection to look like, which the connection or the chemistry can be that third element. Um, So when you're kind of like operating out of the pole that you've always had, which is typically tied to your parental child dynamics because you aren't differentiating yourself yet, um, you prefer a kind of connection uh, that you know what it looks like, you know what it feels like, that's what you want. So like, I want this kind of connection with these people or this person. Um, And that's like the magical third element that hangs in the room. It's the energy in a room when I am with this other person. So like when you're doing the work of all of the unconscious, you know, demystifying, um, actually like separating the clouds and knowing that like that's kind of just been a parental child dynamic this whole time. And it's not really coming from a place of what, like who you are and what you desire. Um, And you actually get to inhabit your space as not just a child that has these needs that want to be met, but like as you, as the I that we continue to talk about. Then the third element becomes something that is very mysterious and energetically enticing and yet could be jarring and challenging and all this stuff um but is inherently there and you don't know what it's going to look like and that's the point because it's not meant to look like something you've always preferred because what you've always preferred has kind of been more of like a need that just you kind of wanted from your parents or something like that So letting the third element be something more organic, something spontaneous, (laughs) something that connects you to something unknown rather than a known result. Like now, if I'm in the room with this person, I don't want to just expect this type of connection that I've always wanted because I should start to want what I don't know yet 
And like the desire comes from the yearning of not knowing instead of going back to what I've always known that doesn't help me grow. Like it keeps me in place. Does that make sense? Yep. That was okay. beautiful. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that, that was explained really well. <laughs> okay, because I'm like talking and I'm like, I have no clue if this is landing at all. Um, and I don't, I don't know if that's the right way or not, but I mean, that's just the way, that, something that I've picked up on and I've seen both in myself and with other people that I'm talking to. And I think with dreams, um, that kind of dynamic can be shown by really like stressful things because like you need to be pushed out of the same dynamic and cycle like nature is the ability to move and grow so we're actually going against our nature when we just continue the same dynamics over and over again. Mm. Yeah, this is really clicking for me. I've had like a string of dreams um, for like the past month that were kind of confusing to me because they didn't align with some of the sexual dreams that I'd been having previously. They were like taking on a new form and it's like exactly what you're describing. Like it wasn't always related to a person um, but I was put in situations that, you know, something would go really wrong and I was either forced like physically to change or do something I wasn't meant to do um, previously. And it was always really scary in those dreams, actually. There'd be like violence or destruction um, either happening outside or within me. I felt like destroyed by something like mm. this isn't the normal course of action. It's something terrifying. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm through the lens of what you're saying, I'm like seeing, um, the value and importance of those, uh, cause yeah, it was like a new form of dream for me and I didn't understand, but I, I'm like understanding now because mm. of what you're saying. Yeah. Cause it, it feels threatening to who you are and what you already know. Mm -hmm. And that's the point. <laughs> exactly. I was like, why is this happening? Like, I know there's a, a, a good reason, but why? I get it now. That's that's the other. The other mm -hmm. is so other that it's it's going to be terrifying. Yeah. Even mm -hmm. for sexual types, even for, because again, like I can everyone, watch for that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like ev everyone has their own cycle. That's the, you know, your instincts are just regurgitated over and over again for a while until you can really differentiate them yeah can I give like a wimpy example of a <laughs> snippet of a dream <laughs> yeah so I actually had this dream last night I didn't even write it down because it's still fresh um you I mean like 10 minutes ago when you woke up oh. <laughs> very <Maybe>. fresh <laughs> off the press <laughs> um but uh, I say it's wimpy because it's related to my high school crush so it actually is related to the dreams I've had about him but I, I was back in like the high school setting in the class that we had together and we always sat like right behind each other so that we could talk and uh in this dream uh we were heading to class. It was me and like a bunch of girls and the, the guy wasn't there. And uh, I was like headed towards my seat, but then all these girls who were my friends uh, in real life, they just took my seat or like, like they took that row of like seats. And I was like, wait, I'm not going to be able to sit near him. I'm going to like literally have to sit like in some corner of the room that I've never sat before. And that there's no connection here. So I sit there and I'm like, I'm so disconnected. And the guy walks in and he sits where he normally sits. And it's like, it's so petty and childish, but I, I was <laughs> in the moment, you know, like it's so stupid, like high school, but um, cause like in all my other dreams in that same high school setting, 
um, in that same class, like the same scenario, I'm always in the normal seat. And this was like the first time I was like just ejected from that seat. And I actually felt the, um, the force and the, the jarringness that you're talking about. I was like, oh, this is like mm. a, a new feeling of being disconnected, whereas I might have felt disconnected previously, but in a different mm. way. This was like a, a literal separation, like the girls like pushing their way to like get the seat. And I was like, and after I woke up, I was like, oh, that's what I'm like. I am those girls, like just greedy for this like same thing over and over again. <laughs> you know, like that's me. I'm the one who feels hurt and I'm the one who's like, I have to sit here so I can get the attention that I need from this outdated dynamic that doesn't exist anymore. I was so embarrassing. Um, but now it's <laughs> to be incredibly abstract because I have a fever. So my thoughts have been very abstract lately, <laughs> but then I think like maybe some of the animus energy in that, this is like so abstract. So I'm kind of laughing when I'm thinking about it, but like could some kind of medicine of connecting with the other then lie in the desire to inhabit another seat mm. you know because it's like you can see all of the elements in the dream and then there's kind of unspoken elements happening in the dream like all of the energies which is kind of like linked to the third element or whatever just like all these energies that are previously unexplored that like could there be something valuable in sitting in another seat because then you do have to adjust your perspective you can't just rely on the same dynamic and that kind of desire like it it forces you to inhabit mm -hmm. another sense of what desire could be without the view of this high school crush anymore you know mm -hmm. right because sitting so far from him in that other seat I realized like he is just a person and, and the projections that I have on him in these dreams, like doesn't really hold up to this new angle that I'm viewing him mm -hmm. from. Like he right. has relationships with, with others and other people sit and it's just class. It's just a class where we learn. We were like doing an assignment and I was struggling with the assignment because I couldn't stop like focusing my attention over there. And I was like this school, it's still tied into school, the di it's this dynamic with him. So I was like, Oh, I realized like I'm just in school right now. And he's just a guy <laughs> who's also in school learning and we're all just trying to learn. And so from that view, from that seat, I realized that. And I was like, Oh my God, like I've been viewing it mm. in this way, this like greedy way where like, I just, I'm not even here to learn. I just, I want this small thing that I, I share with you. And I'm like amplifying it so much that it's like inhibiting everything else. So that's what I learned from that seed. I was kind of, that's why I woke up like, God, like, <laughs> what was I, what was I doing in school? Like, did I learn anything? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Well, and that's, no. I mean, like, and again, abstractly too, that school in your dream, like you're going back mm -hmm. to school in your dream. So there is still something to learn about that yeah. dynamic. Yeah. Now, mm -hmm. currently. And like when you previously sat with him, it was like your two seats and you literally stepped outside of that pole to the third perspective. You were able to like see from a different angle, from third kind of perspective, the whole pole and in a way hold it mm -hmm. as an impersonal observer. Yeah, that's really good. That's true. Yeah. Making it a little like looking at something objectively that like the the type of energy that you had when you would sit behind him or whatever it's like now it's able to see what the energy looks like when you're not on the pole you thought you were yeah mm -hmm. which wouldn't even really be like your pole because you don't know what your your pole is too and I think I think that's common in triangulation like I've noticed it with my own dreams too is that like usually when there are 
poles established in a dream. So like in your case, it's this this guy and then these girls, like, okay, obvious poles going on there. That like the third element becomes like jealous or upset or um, displaced, feeling like a third wheel, like that kind of thing, because like your own pole feels like it needs to be compared which is like much more of like the like really negative animus negative masculine energy Mm -hmm. like the comparison um like we had talked about before and Kaisa always puts really well that like you can't like you can't really compare yourself like you're offering something completely unique and different um, that shouldn't be compared to anyone else's because it's so distinct. And that creates like such a different and more enticing energy than thinking like, oh, this is who I am. This is all I have to offer. This is all, this is the only connection I want. Um, like being curious about all of that and letting it be something different could really help a new desire or energy to form or reveal mm-hmm. itself. That was good. That was a good blast. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Sammy, for sleeping in. You contributed something <laughs> accidentally. <laughs> Without even knowing it. I... Yay! You are prepared. I... See, you didn't have to prepare. You are prepared. <laughs> don't don't clap for me just getting drunk <laughs> off my savior functions and, and not caring about the tribe. <laughs> I... <laughs> I made a mistake and it won't happen again. I mean, it, it, it might happen again. <laughs> it's going to, it's going to happen again for sure. But that's, and that's why I think too, um, you know, I probably said this before, like why anima and animus stuff is so hard to talk about is because it's like, how are you supposed to know? You don't already know now. That's the point. Right. <laughs> it's what you don't know. <laughs> How are you supposed to talk about something you don't know? Um, but I think at least two, I mean, one of the other things I had thought of is um, the, like, I don't know if we, okay, maybe this will jar your guys' memory, but like, I don't know if we talked about like negative anima or animus and possession like we have brought up possession a couple of times do we talk about that in the last one uh we we talked about that slightly in okay. like what it can look like when you are possessed by anima animus but we didn't really go in depth okay because i mean like um especially with negative anima or animus stuff i feel like that's super popular for everybody before the actual or anima or animus shows up um or like it's part of developing a relationship with it is understanding how it comes up in a in a negative way um so like yeah i think we did kind of talk a little bit about um like the possessions of things like stereotypically if you have like a negative anima or or possessed by an anima like you know a a man can be really like moody and um withdrawn and like possessive and stuff like this like they're inhabiting all of the negative characteristics of that um but also then to like with the negative animus or possessed like it's the stereotypical like masculine qualities of control and domination and comparison and stuff like that but without it being like super intense or overwhelming in that sense I mean just seeing it day to day like I have a lot of dreams of um kind of like sometimes threatening figures or creepy men or like stuff like that where it's like um there's obviously like some kind of energy that I am like I do not want to have anything to do with in the dream as the dream ego and usually like you know going back to the idea of nature like 
the negative other is showing you how there is a part of you working against your nature. So like during the day previously of having that dream of like a creepy person or something like that, it's usually like there's something I'm putting on myself that's really not coming from me. That's coming from some kind of belief that I've like taken on as my own. Um, and I've noticed that a lot when I hear other Jungians talk about anima or animus or, or the, that other is like, you know, as much as you're kind of like trying to understand it, <laughs> it's also trying to understand you. So it's trying to get you to kind of see um, parts of yourself that aren't very admirable or <laughs> um parts of yourself that are actually like working against you um and working against change and working against like um feeling comfortable about who you are and that i that sense of i so i think a lot of the negative inner other comes up um so, you know, maybe a shadow kind of figures. This is like the social element. But like to see like where are you kind of doing these things to yourself? Like the stereotypical person who has a dream of someone being really oppressive to them maybe i know we've talked about before like institutions being oppressive to them like it's some kind of like dogmatic energy that is quote unquote controlling the dream ego in the dream so it becomes irritating to the dream ego or it becomes um like something they have to fight cuz it's threatening it's and that would look like in reality like what are you saying to yourself that you're perceiving as a threat and I think this could go in a lot of ways like it could be a person in a relationship that's telling themselves things like you know my partner is going to leave me or my partner hates me like that is a perceived threat of the person and not actually based in nature in reality um, which all of this kind of goes into that idea of actually like the eternal now and living in the present and stuff like all of these types of things we tell ourselves and the narratives we tell ourselves um, prevent us from really being here and being with someone and being vulnerable, which is all things that your inner other really wants you to experience and to have. But you and your own bullshit <laughs> continue to not allow that to happen um, because of fear. And that's why that inner other is going to be so dramatic and jarring and cause fear, because that's kind of also what's holding you back from really being connected to the part of you you don't already know. And that part of you that you don't already know, being the unknown, um, is much more present. Um, it's a space that's constantly unexplored. And it's, again, like working with nature rather against it. Um, so that's something, too, to think about is when a figure or a situation happens in a dream um, that you may get the sense that this might be my inner other, even if it's negative, like what about it and or the situation is mirroring something that, you know, I'm kind of putting on myself, but thinking it's externalized. Even in her illness, she continues to blast and does really good at it. <laughs> so. I just like, I don't know. 
it makes me think, especially when I'm sick, it makes me think everything I'm saying like makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> no, you you are still on top of it. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for reminding me. And that could be, that's my own negative animus is constantly thinking that what I'm saying is wrong. Um, Constantly like, you know, after this call, I'm going to think, was anything I said like actually okay like and especially being a social type I'm constantly thinking how are other people perceiving it and my immediately like my immediate thought is they're perceiving it like what the fuck does this person mean I don't get the context I'm gonna chew on this for a while and then forget about it um because I'm like also as a Bermuda I'm not making things more universal for everybody and getting into every single mind of the person that listens to this podcast Mm. (laughs) and it's like that's my negative animus is just this constant like overshadowing control of thinking I have any control over people's perceptions people's um ability to understand And even, like, their ability to understand me as a person. I mean, it's easy, I guess, with the podcast. It's, like, personal but impersonal. Um, But still, I take it as this is a part of me that I'm sharing. So, you know, how's it being handled? How's it being perceived? And, of course, my thoughts go, like, right to the negative of just, oh, it's... Mm. terrible (laughs) Mm. that's a really good example actually yeah um in my understanding the negative animus has a sense of like being right and having this kind of universal ideal that's discounting the personal experience and the essence of someone yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i'm thinking of like Every single time I ever beat myself up uh, for something, you know, I was just thinking about that, like, as you were talking, like, the way we beat ourselves up for, and for me, Kristen, like, I relate to the control aspect a lot. Um, I wonder if that's also like a one wing thing. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's amplified because of that. But um, like, every time I've ever beat myself up or tried to like force control um, to the point where it made me like, really neurotic um like I I can kind of see that being uh related to what you're talking about too oh yeah it's more more related to my like like the control I feel in my body and how that um relates to my self-care a lot and how I beat myself up over that um Mm. because that's like where I feel it the most like that's where my tension is um Mm mm-hmm like just really neurotic with my routines and um body stuff and yeah I don't want to get into details it's like weird but (laughs) (laughs) well I even I hear it in you a lot of time like even just before this call you're like oh my god I'm so sorry I'll never do it again like you're punishing yourself and it's just like it's okay like it it just happens like even if we were to come on and be like, fuck you, Sammy. You know what? (laughs) You do this all the goddamn time. You're always (laughs) letting us down. Fuck you. You know, like, you still have a choice to believe us or be like, well, fuck you guys. Like, I can, I'm able to do what I don't owe you shit. Like, you know, like, there's still, like, to connect to that feeling of, like, like where is it really in me that i that i feel the need to say this and what am i really really worried about and then like separate that from the narrative that you're telling yourself like oh this just makes me into a terrible person and this makes me like a horrible friend and like blah 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 and it's like you know the feelings can be absolutely valid like sure you're worried and you know you feel shame or something like that but like you don't need to have this narrative then that's like oppressing yourself, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, Sammy. Why? 
<laughs> the scary would <laughs> show up. When you said that, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Krista, you are such a thug. <laughs> I, I love attacking nines where I know it really hurts. <laughs> conflict, conflict. I think that's even something... Um, like Marie Louise von Franz has a lot of stuff on Anima or Animus, and she's super entertaining to listen to. Like um, some of the things I I don't agree with, but a lot of the things are really interesting to think about. Um, but she was saying in the one that I listened to about Animus that like her negative Animus can also show up when she's like being too fragile about herself. Um, like, and I think about like that a lot of people have a lot of vulnerabilities that are very hard to share or feel through or even admit that they exist. And so like a negative inner other um, could be that like perceived conflict or fret, threat <laughs> or threat that like uh, would damage that vulnerability that you're trying so hard to protect um or that like there's there's a really fragile part of you that like all your defenses are are trying so hard not to expose or something like that and really that's like deep rooted in in childhood stuff like type structure stuff um and in reality like you are completely capable of handling anything that that is thrown at you in those sense like unless it's literally life or death <laughs> you're gonna feel and perceive it as life or death when it's not you know mm -hmm. so especially for all the nines out there <laughs> <laughs> conflict is not so scary it is but you also have that power and strength to handle it no matter what like i'm saying like if we literally said fuck you sammy um you piece of shit you're greedy and obnoxious like <laughs> you you would be able to like okay i care about these people and i value them like maybe they're hurt in some kind of way maybe we need to just have a conversation about it and get some really ugly shit out and just be honest and like because I really value working through something like that mm -hmm. um and maybe you value to telling us to fuck off and never seeing us again I don't know you'd have to get in touch with that but as an example <laughs> like there's always a way to to connect more to the the value and the feeling of something mm -hmm. um and really quiet down those narratives so that you can inhabit more of a movable, flexible space. Mm. Which is why, I don't know if I've ever said this on the podcast, but it's something that has been brought up quite a lot and I've been thinking about quite a lot. Um, I'm going to have a, an unpopular opinion or something. And remind me if I have said this or not, but I don't think attachment types are actually adaptable. <laughs> have I ever said that? <laughs> I think, yeah, I think, yeah, you said something you have said. I have said that? I have, you have said that. I'm not sure if it was on recording, though. Okay. Um, I don't think I had said it on, the, on a recording. I probably brought it up in conversation. But, like, I don't think attachment types are actually adaptable. Like, I think they're just tolerant of things going on, which is its own form of, like, concretizing immovable you know mm. um and so i think even with uh attachment types doing this kind of work too is seeing where you are totally immovable on something and actually not adapting and letting things like have emotion to them um but yeah that's just a thought too just to shit on attachment types. No, it's to free it them. 
<laughs> yeah, it doesn't happen enough. They need to be shit on more. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's still related to the inner other because the inner other does want you to be more flexible mm-hmm. and more um, like strong enough to handle very difficult material. Um, both unconsciously and in the world. Mm. There's a lot of difficult material in the world um, to have to locate inside of yourself, whether it be happening in faraway lands that has what seems like nothing to do with you, but really does because you still are connected to what happens. Um, Or something that happens in your personal life that you know whether it's with other people or it's like at a job or a decision you have to make or something like like all of that is operating through the lens of both conscious and unconscious material so to be flexible with the material overall and having an inner other that is supportive of your growth means, you know, you'll have to most of the time contend with all of the um, negative and immovable stuff that doesn't help you grow. And that's just uncomfortable. So question, let's say you're having one of those dreams um, where like you are feeling that discomfort so much and maybe it takes on like an actual like violent form to get you to really like have that freak out, you know, cause like me as a nine, like a self-pres nine, it is really hard to get in touch with that. Cause like constantly in the comfort zone. So what would you do if you wanted to like take this like violent, uh, chaotic encounter like in a dream and sit down with it and like start to I don't know how to phrase it like just start to see like what it's actually saying like I know that's kind of like what you're talking about it is a little abstract so I'm like like what do you actually need to do um to like take this thing that like is so jarring and is so uncomfortable and can look really violent and like start to like turn it into something that you can see yourself in, not for the, well, actually, let me just leave it at that. Like see yourself in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the immediate thing that I think about is where are you being very violent to yourself Mm-hmm. And that could look, I mean, especially for a nine, that could look like the real motivation behind why you keep yourself so comfortable. Like you're perceiving the external world as a thing that's going to be violent to me if I'm if I step out of my comfort zone. But it is that perceived threat. Like it's it's entirely of your own making that the external world is violent and that is Mm. why I need to keep myself comfortable. Do you know, does that make sense? I see. Yeah. 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 So like, I think of, I know lots of self-pres nines, um, like self-pres social nines. And, um, it's, it's also kind of the idea as well with attachment types and not really being that adaptable or whatever. And especially with nines, um, nines and sixes probably, is that idea of like not making a decision is still making a decision. Mm-hmm. Um, that like sometimes self-pressed social nines can keep themselves in a very, very comfy spot um, because everything that like any kind of choice they want to make, which like there's most of the time not even in touch with their actual desires because it's like well if I have desires then that means I will have to put myself in an uncomfortable position or make an uncomfortable decision or something like that 
Um, so it's kind of just easier to not be in touch with it. Um, that that's very threatening and violent to your desires, like to that organ in yourself that desires, um, like it's it's violent to suppress it by just being like oh i'm going to i'm going to keep doing the same things i'm doing and i'm going to be comfortable because stepping out of it and actually following that instinctual urge and desire for something or whatever is going to be different for everybody um is like i'm going to make up excuses like i see a lot of self press social nines that just make up excuses as to why they aren't going to follow a desire Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And they're very convincing excuses, too. Like, they're very convincing. It's not just stupid stuff. It's not even just like sexual blind stuff, like, of just, mm-hmm. oh, I'm scared of blah, blah, blah. Like, th- you are so strong at convincing yourself and making a very strong argument. Like, that's the negative animus. Like, yeah. it is making an incredibly strong argument and a valid argument to not follow what you really are yearning for yeah and I just to say like I uh I live with two like SPSOs who aren't nines and I see that in them too but because Mm -hmm. they're not nines they might get like reactive about it in a different way so I think that's all this is also like a an SPSO thing as well like I think I've seen a lot of SPSOs just get in a comfort routine um but depending on their core type like they might uh project like certain frustration or reactions that like you won't see a nine give like on the situation Mm -hmm. um whereas the nine will kind of keep that to themselves so yeah like your type becomes your type structure just becomes the defense yeah like it's it's and and this yeah this can be for any kind of person like your type and that's why I wonder too like you know if the instincts are kind of like really rooted underneath your type I think that's why sometimes, well, <laughs> like all the time, <laughs> type structures are just so obvious in people because they're operating off of such a mechanical, unconscious way that like if the instincts start to really become a conscious thing, I feel like the type gets to express itself more um, energetically and lively and and colorful and stuff like that. Um like the type kind of just becomes its own little unique form of itself rather than this kind of like generic, oh, that's a nine, that's a six, you know? <laughs> mm. Yeah. So, right. yeah, absolutely. It's defense. Yeah. And there's like, I don't want to say that like any, it's only self-pressed types who get into this. Like we know, like you can be a sexual type who's like sexual projections or just projections, period any type whose projections are like the same thing over and over again. So I like yeah, I understand like, now that like what this is, what you're saying with the inner other and how jarring it can be. It's like actually examining what you're projecting and like, what are you looking at from that new angle or that new seat, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I, for example, knew a sexual seven who always was like all the time trying to get something new because there was always something frustrating about anything that he got into contact with Mm. so he kind of never took the time to actually engage because he was always in pursuit of a new one but that's still a pattern of sameness enacting the same exact thing all the time right and with sexual types as well you know because sexual blinds will probably have that problem of like not really being connected to their desire um, and not really knowing what it what they want because they're giving themselves so many excuses and defenses to keep it down and hidden and protected and stuff like that. Whereas sexual types, like, you know, maybe they'll follow their desires, but just in the same as sexual blinds, is it really their desire or is it a dynamic they want, wish to continue to to play out and and be impulsive about or something like that? Um, which is kind of tying into then like for a sexual type, if they're with another person or something, you know, are they really relating to the person? Um, 
or even just group of people. Like I think of social sexuals or sexual socials, like, are you relating to life and, and the people that are in your life that are really close and whatever as who they are, or is it some kind of, um, dynamic that you force to continue playing out because of some kind of need that is linked to childhood instead of something more in touch with like what's underneath all of that stuff you know Mm -hmm. and that's where like their negative anima or animus you know, could be challenging them on that. Like, is this really you? Um, Is this really what you want out of someone or, or something in life? Um, Are you really in touch with that? And is it really bringing you something new and transformative? Or is it just a hungry, um, deprived, part of you that you're trying to fill all the time which is some dark shit (laughs) (laughs) but it's necessary let's Mm -hmm. you know need to hear that yeah what about for social blinds (laughs) we've seen some social blind dreams where it's just like crazy stuff like what you're talking about Yeah, I think, I mean, that is what I keep in mind when I'm talking about sexual types is, I mean, with social blinds, because of them, I think one of their biggest things is going to be relating to people or a partner as not that person, um, Mm -hmm. but as a thing that is getting some kind of very hungry and deprived need met. Um, because of lacking social and like spirit, if we're talking about the polarity of spirit and matter, um, you know, social is someone's personhood. So the person just becomes this triangulation dynamic thing from childhood because a social blind doesn't recognize their own personhood. So they're just like this constantly fueled um, energy of wanting and shoving it into the ground. And (laughs) Mm -hmm. like, let me take you down into my cave with me because that's where I want you there. Because then we continue this, we can continue this dynamic forever and ever and ever. Right. Rather than, oh, you're your own person um with your own needs and your own polarity and I'm not even seeing what you have to offer as a person of yourself because the energetic quality of us is so much more important and feeds me you know because you know self-pres sexual or or sexual self-pres it has the element of self-pres So there's this nurturing, there's this ecstatic nurturing that continues to happen. So it's like, (laughs) yeah, like feed me, like this is what is feeding me and it's Mm -hmm. not coming up for air like at all. Yeah. Right. Like Mm -hmm. I'm remembering Maggie's dream where Mm. the one where you were like, just you were mutilated, you were like dismembered and how upset and shocked she was because you had like gone somewhere and she was like, doing that like fight, like that simulated yeah. fight with, with that like older guy and just, just chaos on top of chaos. And, um, and she was in that dome with like the fake sky. Like, it's just, it's so, <laughs> that was a really good dream. Yeah. You know, very illustrative so, of that, mm-hmm. of that like inner hell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she just continues to play in, but yeah. And that's like, you know, because of me being a social type, that's like her own inner me mm-hmm. of of like her own social personhood um and identity and everything like and especially j- not like identity 
well, it's more like I, how the world is perceiving me. Because I think social blinds have that aversion to actually allowing the world to perceive them as a person because there, there's so much objectification going on both internally and externally that it's like if like that's completely mutilated and so therefore it's like not only do they not see themselves as their own person um it gets projected onto everyone else as these aren't people. This isn't a person. This isn't my friend. This isn't my partner. Like this is just some abstract energy I'm playing with and I either hate it or I love it (laughs) because Mm -hmm. that's how I see myself is just this thing that's either repulsive or attractive or something like that. Um, Mm. And for me, it seems that like, because connection, it is in the air and um even if the person is not physically present it the air kind of carries the connection but when that's not in the equation there become there comes this sense of like need to have it at all times in the immediate like space the object of desire because when it's taken away what is carrying the connection mm-hmm. because there is no connection yeah, the connection's not being like rooted anywhere because the self-pres matter is gone or perceived to be gone. It's not actually gone. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, that's how I can, I've had um, some of my own realizations recently about how being, you know, being social and having that like, I'm relating more to the idea of a person rather than the person themselves, like in matter, in the flesh kind of thing. And, you know, again, another example of like my own negative animus is just how much that like spiritualizing people, you know, keeping them as an idea can be so damaging to myself because then I'm like, it's very distant and it's like it can create its own story like you know if I'm perceiving Sammy as an idea I am now talking to Sammy in my head when Sammy's not in the room and now Sammy and I based on some obscure impression I had maybe you like looked at me weird or something Um, or you didn't react to something I said. Now the idea of Sammy and I have a problem with each other. (laughs) And the negative animus is, is this narrative of, I think Sammy like doesn't fucking like me at all. Like, I think Sammy hates me. You know, I think Sammy and I are going to have some problems. I think when I see Sammy next, I'm going to try and get to the bottom of this. Like it is just this, whole other world that I'm creating and it's totally just in the air and it's not it's not realistic when I actually do see you I like there's a whole other energy going on that I'm now not in touch with because I've just manifested my own to continue some other weird dynamic of me not being loved or or cool or (laughs) interesting yeah like it's just this whole made-up shit that serves no purpose other than to continue my own nine bullshit of like, I'm just like, I can't say my needs. I can't express myself. I can't um, like, I have to be friendly all the time. I have to be universal. Like you see what I'm saying? Like it just, it's this thing that I create myself, but it feels so real and I'm convincing myself that it is. Mm-hmm. And really, it's like so hard to see that, like looking at it objectively and seeing that like, that is just something I'm doing to myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is so hard to like hear that story and realize that like I do the same thing. <laughs> like I see it in my dreams, like with this, with the dumb high school guy and <laughs> even just, just people in my life, like my family, my dad, my sister, you know, even my mom, like just 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think it's like, you know, the, we talked about it before, like the point of individuation is really like withdrawing all those projections Mm -hmm. and stepping into who you really are rather than continuing the parent child dynamic because I mean that is so strong and it's what you know and it perpetuates something you think you know about yourself when really Mm -hmm. there's like so much that you don't know about yourself and you just kind of have to like step out of that that triangulation to be able to inhabit a place that's more natural to who you are and who you are you don't know yet but you should be excited to meet it (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) oh meet the new sammy (laughs) (laughs) i am excited we'll just yeah i'll keep you guys updated (laughs) (laughs) i think it's a you know it helps to just kind of like try i guess to try to just not be you really (laughs) no but what i mean is like uh like notice where you are just falling into the same thing over and over again and and try to explore and experiment with stepping out of that like you did in your dream mm-hmm. last night of like what happens when you sit in a different seat and you look at it from a different angle. And also as well being more of like a body-based practice of really feeling into then where does the desire go when it's displaced um Mm -hmm. when it's not wanting the same thing over and over again what would you want what where like what what would your desire say to you if it didn't have the you know (laughs) narrow focus of on that one thing another abstract thing to think about but I think you need to be abstract with this kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. And look at all of the the energies of things. I think I might have said that even too in the one episode, which is why that dream's a good example of just trying to find some sort of abstract energy. Um, yeah, because that's kind of where the third element or sexual instinct stuff might be hidden is in that strange other place that you can't see directly you kind of have to feel into i mean that's what i could think of mm-hmm. <laughs> some good demon intuition wisdom don't be afraid of the abstract <laughs> go towards it that's true that's probably why we all agree upon that <laughs> <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. I think it makes me more satisfied because it's it is a more abstract place instead of a more like I I think it helps because it breaks people out of the idea of oh it's just a gendered thing it's just like if a man appears yeah as a woman that means that's my aunt like you know I think that's And that could just be my projection, but I think it does need to be more creatively explored than than just that kind of linear thing. So that's why I don't even know. Yeah, like I don't even know if if any of that is right, but (laughs) too bad. (laughs) Feels right. That's my pod- positive animus is saying, too bad. Fuck your map. Here's a new one. <laughs> mm. Well, the other thing I had thought of too, and I don't know if I brought this up, is I've been chewing on that idea of um, know thyself. And I think that that has to do more with the sexual instinct. Um especially because your inner other 
and the self with the capital S is like your God, essentially, that I think that's how you are connected to that is by knowing yourself and knowing yourself is very difficult and uncomfortable. But that's what really shows the larger picture within yourself than than just like the personal routine and habitual mechanic stuff that you continue to do. Mm. And knowing yourself doesn't come from having a hardcore identification with a special type or it's what's underneath the structure the type structure mm-hmm. yeah like if if you have a self or a god that thing doesn't really it doesn't have a type or instincts like it is totally a a very abstract concept (laughs) Mm. so working through your type and instincts um and knowing their place versus this abstract concept is is very helpful in getting in touch with that and having a relationship with it so you're not just thinking that your instincts or type is your religion because that's not like that's a dogmatic religion that's not a an actual religious function which would you know make sense then as to when I said or if I said that I think I said it about like you know we do have a religious function kind of naturally and sometimes people if they don't have one consciously, it is unconscious. Um, that would be the unconscious religion is is your instincts and your defenses as a type. You, you constantly devote yourself to the defenses that you put up or your dominant instinct or something like that. This is very unconscious. Mm-hmm. So... Time for a new god. Time for that fleshy meat object in the sky that Sammy desires. <laughs> I can't believe I said that. That was that was that was great. I don't know what you're saying. That's gold. You were exploring, having new yeah. experiences. Oh yeah. <laughs> Terrifying. Terrible. That that's a great example of the dominant instinct being the religious god you devote yourself to. <laughs> Sammy, stop. <laughs> Get it out. <laughs> Get it out. 